As you know, the word Advent means coming, and so some of the passages we look at during Advent relate to the birth of Jesus, some to the second coming of Jesus. Uh, Some of the other passages we look at the ministry of John the Baptist as he prepares the way for the coming, the ministry of Jesus. So we turn this morning to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And the title of my message today is Pointing People to Jesus. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us what it is that you would want us to learn From this passage of Scripture today, show us, Lord, that as John the Baptist consistently pointed others to you, Father, that's our mission, too, that we would point people to you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, there was a schoolmaster in Switzerland by the name of Pestalozzi. And he was uh, greatly loved, especially by the children. And when he died then, there was a monument that was built in, in his memory. The sculptor succeeded so well in, in giving a, such a clear picture of this man that when it was finally unveiled, uh, people sat there in harsh silence. They couldn't believe how, how realistic that, that sculptor was. And in that sculpture, you see Pestalozzi looking down at a little child. The child is kneeling, and that child is looking up into the face of this great schoolmaster. But those who knew this man the best said that it didn't accurately picture the mission and goal of his life. His desire was not that these little children would look to him. His desire was that they would look beyond him to the one whom Pestalozzi served. So they had to change the the sculpture. And the second unveiling, there was this little child kneeling before Pestalozzi, but he wasn't looking into the face of the schoolmaster. He was looking beyond. He was looking to the God that Pestalozzi served. Now there's a good schoolmaster, right? There's a man of God who would say, you know, I might be your teacher, but I want you to look to him. I want you to look to the God that I serve. 
If there was ever a man who wanted people to look beyond him to the God he served, I think we'd have to say it was, it was John the Baptist. As the forerunner of Jesus, he understood his mission, and he illustrates then to us what ought to be our mission as well. What do we do at Advent? We, we point people to Jesus, the coming one who has come to, to save us, the, the one who is coming again, the one who desires to come into the lives of, of those who need him today. So we need to point people to Jesus. How do we do that then? I would suggest to you there are three lessons we learn in this passage. First of all, we verbally point people to Jesus by the words of our mouths. When you examine the ministry of John the Baptist, he was not a silent Christian. And there are some who would say, well, you know, I don't, I'm not one who opens my mouth. You know, I, I'm just quiet. I'm in the background and, and I don't feel I need to do that. I just witness by my life. Well, yes, we need to witness by our lives. But are we not called to be ones who verbally Tell others what Jesus has done for us. Look, look at our text, how it emphasizes a verbal proclamation. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Verse 4, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching. Verse 7, and he was preaching and, and saying. So here was a man who opened his mouth and testified of the Lord. It's interesting, Mark quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, describing the, the prophecy of John the Baptist's ministry. And if you go back to that passage in Isaiah 40, the, the verbal proclamation is, is so evident in that passage. Let me just give you some examples. Isaiah 42, speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended. Verse 3, a voice is calling. Verse 6, a voice says, call out. Verse 9, lift up your voice mightily. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. So the Lord is telling John, there is something that I want you to say. There is a verbal proclamation of the good news. Now, some of us say, well, I'm not a preacher. I don't stand up in front and give messages and that's... Fine, not everybody's called to be a preacher. But you meet people every day, right? You have friends, you have family, you have neighbors. You don't need to stand in a pulpit to talk about Jesus. And one of the best ways you can do that is to share what Christ has done for you. How He's forgiven you, how He's given you hope, how He has saved you. There needs to be that, that voice, that verbal proclamation. The way in which John verbally pointed people to Jesus was by uh, preaching repentance. In fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance so that hearts might be prepared for Jesus. Notice how we see that in verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, the picture here is that of a, a road being prepared for the king to make entrance. And all the boulders were pushed aside. All the potholes were filled up. Even the garbage was removed from the roadway. Uh, the king wanted unhindered access. 
And so when the king was going to come, people made sure that roadway was ready for him to enter the city. That's what's needed in our lives and the lives of those around us. Our hearts are like the desert of Judea, which John preached. There are hills and potholes and boulders that need to be removed in order for Jesus to come in. And how does that come about? It's by preaching a message of repentance. Sin must be removed. And sin is removed when we confess our sins. And Jesus forgives those sins. And that's why John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I don't think I need to tell you that the world in which we live today doesn't view the preaching of repentance very positively. Right? People don't want to hear about their sin. And if you preach repentance, that a person needs to turn from their sin, that's, that's negative, huh? How could you be so negative? How could you be so judgmental? As if to say that you have sin that needs to be confessed and and turned away from. But I don't think it's negative at all. People need to repent. They need to come to Jesus. They need to confess their sins. Believers need to be set free from those things that may be binding them. It's not a negative thing at all. It's the most positive thing. When someone is confronted with their need, they repent of their sins, receive Jesus. What could be better than that? What could be better than that? Think of all the Christmas songs we sing that talk about the the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. So many of them. Let every heart prepare him room. That's what Advent's about. It's not about Santa Claus and reindeer and Frosty the snowman and um, Ludafisk, of all things. Um, It's about Jesus. Let's proclaim him. Let's invite people to come to him. I read about an outdoor gospel meeting and the preacher asked for for testimonies. And there was a man that stood up and shared how the Lord had transformed his life. He had been a drunk for many years and God saved him and, and turned his life around. And there was this skeptic who came and he was listening to this testimony. And he remarked to someone, he said, religion saving a man like this is nothing more than a dream. Well, the ten-year-old daughter of the man whose life was changed heard that. And so she went and she said to this skeptic, Please, sir, if it is only a dream, please don't wake him up. That is my daddy. She saw what Jesus had done to change this man's life. It was more than a dream. It was reality. When Jesus Christ comes into our life, He changes us. Just like He changed that man. And that's why we tell others about Jesus. That's why we proclaim Him. This is the only message that changes lives. And that's the message that John proclaimed. Verbally pointing people to Jesus by the words of his mouth. And I guess the question that we didn't ask, is, is that what I'm doing? Are we doing that? Are you using those open doors, those opportunities to point people to Jesus? Let's open our mouths, right? Let's say Merry Christmas. See what people say, huh? Maybe that's an opportunity to point people to Jesus instead of happy holidays or whatever. Let's, let's point people 
to Jesus. Secondly, notice that we not only verbally, but we, we visibly point people to Jesus by the example of our lives. Okay, the two go hand in hand, don't they? Verbally, visibly. Most of what Mark tells us about John's ministry was his preaching. But he tells us something interesting about the way that he lived. Verse 6, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts, grasshoppers, and wild honey. Now, he must have been a startling figure. Can you imagine this guy? uh, I don't know what camel hair feels like. It probably can't feel that good, but if that's what his... uh, dress was. He probably wasn't a pace setter in terms of fashion in his day. He claimed to be a messenger of God, but he certainly didn't look like the religious leaders of his day, did he? Why did he dress that way? I think one reason is because he was a picture of the prophet Elijah. 2 Kings 1.8 tells us that this is how Elijah dressed. And so when John the Baptist came on the scene, those who knew the Old Testament, they would say, aha, <laughs> this guy looks like Elijah. And there's a reason why he did, because Luke 1.17 says that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So he looked like him. I don't know how many other people dressed like that, but John the Baptist did. But maybe another reason John dressed this way is because his life was a protest against the self-indulgent religious leaders of his day. The religious leaders of John's day wore expensive clothing and they loved to be noticed. Matthew 23, verses 5 to 7 says, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. Respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And they love being called rabbi by men. John was so totally different from these guys. He was not concerned about the world's pleasure. All he wanted to do was to point people to Jesus. And that's the lesson I believe God wants us to learn as we look at his life. It wasn't all about John. It was all about Jesus. All about Jesus. That's the challenge of our lives, right? What is it? Is it about us? Are we looking to attract attention to ourselves? Do people say, my, how wonderful you are? How talented you are? Or to point people... To Jesus. That's what John wanted to do. I don't think that necessarily means we should go out and buy some camel hair clothing and a leather belt and start eating grasshoppers. Maybe a little honey, that'd be fine. I'm about grasshoppers. But I do believe that God wants the example of our lives to point people to Jesus. The way that we live should be a testimony to this world that there is a better way to live. 
a much better way to live. Our lifestyle should point people to Jesus. A missionary was beginning his ministry in a distant land, and he began to talk about Jesus, of his love and compassion and tenderness. And he was pleased to notice that people seemed to be quite interested in what he had to say. They were nodding and they were smiling. And he's wondered, well, my, this is the first time he shared about Jesus. And finally, he asked them how many of them had heard of this man. It seemed as if they all knew him. And upon further inquiry, he found out that they were thinking of a Christian doctor who had lived among them. Describing Jesus, and they say, yeah, we know him. (laughs) He served here. (laughs) That man must have made an impact on their lives. That when talking about Jesus, they thought he was talking about the doctor they knew. Oh, that people would see that in our lives. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the same could be said about us, if if we lived in such a, a way that, that we remind people of Jesus? That was how John lived. He verbally and visibly pointed people to Jesus. But then thirdly, we, we humbly point people to Jesus by the attitude of our hearts. I think this was probably the most important thing in John's life, and not, not so much how he, he dressed, but, but the attitude with which he lived. And there was a humbleness in John, a humility that was really the hallmark of his life. He desired only to exalt Jesus. And I think that's quite significant when you consider the impact of his ministry. Verse 5 says, And all the the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now that sounds like a, a pretty large group of people. All the country of Judea, all the people of Jerusalem, they must have heard about this startling figure <laughs> preaching, and they... They went out to, to hear him, and many, many were saved. One, one commentator says, and I don't know how you can necessarily come up with a number, but he said, there must have been thousands upon thousands of people who came to John. That's a big, big crowd. Would there be a temptation to, to have a little pride in that? I mean, look at all the numbers, look at all, all the people coming to hear to listen to his humble spirit. Verse 7, And he was preaching and saying, After me is one who is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the, the thong of, of his sandals. Jesus came to be baptized by John, and Matthew's account says that John said, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? John 3.30, John the Baptist said of Jesus, He must increase and I must decrease. And so it's not surprising when Jesus arrived on the scene and He saw Him walking there, what did He say to His disciples? Remember? 
I think he pointed when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Here's the Lamb of God. Here's the one I've been talking about. Here's the one that that I've said, He must increase, I must decrease. He's the one you are to follow. When I think of John, I think of a man standing like this, pointing to Jesus. Away from himself, pointing to Jesus. The words of his mouth, the example of his life, the attitude of his heart, consistently pointing people to Jesus. And more than anything else, that's what people need today. They need to see Jesus. And we have the privilege of being his messengers. There'll never be another John the Baptist, but yet, are we not called to be messengers of Jesus as well? Called to go and make disciples of of all the nations. If you were to step into the pulpit of Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you would see in that pulpit something that made the pastor there years ago, Dr. Russell Conwell, used of God in such a mighty way, right in front of the preacher in the pulpit was written this statement. It's taken from John 12, 21. We would see Jesus. What could be a better reminder for a preacher? And when you step in that pulpit, what do people need to see? They need to see Jesus. And so every time he preached from that pulpit, that was the desire of his heart. We would see Jesus. Is that your desire today? That people would see Jesus? That you can point to Him as the way, the truth, and the life. You can point to Him as the one who saves and transforms and forgives and cleanses and heals and restores. Well, I'll tell you what, our world really needs Jesus. We are in a spiritual downslide like, I don't know, can we say like ever before? The message we proclaim is such a needed message today. There was a young Christian gal who sang a solo at church one Sunday, and the pastor thanked her, and he just kind of went on and on and on about how wonderful it was, and she was kind of getting a little bit embarrassed. And she said, "Um, If you please, sir, I don't want you to praise me. And the pastor was going to take it back. He said, well, well, well why, why not? And she said, because it's Jesus that I want to glorify. Since he has become my Savior, I want everything about me to point to him. There it is in a nutshell, right? There it is. Since he has become my Savior. I want everything about me to point to Him. Father, may that be our desire today, that everything about us would point to You, Lord Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about our church. It's about You. And help us then, as John the Baptist did, that that forerunner of, of the Savior, that we would point people to You. 
Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've come to this world. Thank you that you bore our sins all the way to the cross of Calvary. Thank you that you are able to save, to heal, to cleanse, to restore. Lord, may everything about us point to you, Lord Jesus. For we pray in your name. Amen.